If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 10, verses 14 to 22. Listen, this is God's word. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? This is God's word. I want to start by telling you a story. It'll kind of indicate where we're going. Um, I go out and run as often as I can. And when I go out running, I usually carry a watch with a timer on it, an iPod so I can listen to something, and then a bottle of water. Okay. Now, I remember being out running this one particular time, and I was still a few miles from home, and I noticed that I only had a little bit of water left in that bottle. Okay, not that much. And it struck me. I wondered to myself, what if my kids are waiting outside when I get home? Because that happens pretty often. And when I get home, they always, they see the bottle, and the first question they ask is, Daddy, can I have some? You know, doesn't matter that they've been inside all, you know, this whole time and I'm out running dripping with sweat, right? They just see the bottle and say, ooh, can I have some of that? And as I thought about that, I just thought, I, you know, a tiny bit of consternation came up because I just realized I'm not going to have any water to give them. I thought about that as I was preparing the sermon and I thought, you know, do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel like you have no water to give to others? Or maybe no water for yourself. You feel like you, do you ever feel like you've run out and there's still miles to go before the finish? I mean, this is, we're talking about being spiritually tired. You ever feel that way? Like your spiritual life is actually lifeless drudgery and you don't see any hope of getting out of that. You ever feel that way? When you feel that way, it really does not just affect you, but it affects others. Because if you feel parched and dry, if you're sapped, how can you love others? Right? Where are you going to get the strength to love others? Well, God has established rest stops on the road of life. Gas stations, if you will. Places where we can refuel And one of the chief gas stations designed by God to keep us going, to keep us fueled, is communion. Okay, it's the Lord's Supper. Um, We're going to be observing it today. Um, Anytime, and it's interesting because anytime something is so important to God, right, this is one of the chief ways that God has designed for you to feel spiritual refreshment. And anytime something is that important to God, the enemy will attack. 
okay, and the enemies of God, you know, Satan, his minions, they have attacked. There is so much confusion in the church over communion, right? There's people who just get confused, like, what is this? Why do we do it? And, and really, the confusion has led to two main errors, okay? The first error is conflict, it's conflict. There are some people in the church, you know, in general, who spend all of their time and effort arguing about the theology of the Lord's Supper, right? They want to fight and bicker and argue, and they've got a point that they want to make and they want to convince you of. And it's interesting because a lot of these folks, they get consumed in their arguments and they lose the forest for the trees. They forget that the whole point of this is to be a place of refreshment, of refueling, and of assurance, well, the opposite error is indifference. Sometimes churches have dealt with the confusion by minimizing or even eliminating the Lord's Supper. And they don't have it at all. Or they stop talking about it so that people really don't understand why we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Why do we have communion? Or, more importantly, what's it supposed to do for us? And so I'm excited because we're going to be able to clear up that confusion Hopefully. I mean, that's my hope. My hope is that you will leave today. I'm going to preach another sermon on communion in two weeks. And that through this, you will be able to clearly understand what the Lord's Supper is, why we do it. You'll be able to participate in this incredible celebration with better understanding, with more joy, and with more benefit to you. I want this to become a celebration and a feast for every single one of you. Communion, I just want to say it again. This is one of the most powerful ways that God gives us the gospel. It's one of the clearest ways that God communicates to us what it means to experience him in our lives. And so we're going to see this today by answering three questions about communion or the Lord's Supper. They're just interchangeable. So these are the three questions there in your bulletin. We're going to see first, what is it? Second, what does it do? And then third, how does it help? Okay, what is it? What does it do? How does it help? And I'll give you the blanks as we come to them uh, in, our, in our point. So first, what is it? What is communion? What is the Lord's Supper? Here's the answer. Bottom line, communion is, well, the Lord's Supper is, it's communion with Jesus. Okay, it's communion with Jesus. It's the title of the sermon. Communion with Jesus. That's fundamentally what happens at the Lord's Supper. Okay? Look at verse 16. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? We are participating in the body and blood of Christ at the Lord's table. This is what's happening there. Participation is the word, and I'll give it to you because I think it sort of gets filtered around in churches and in Christianity. It's, it's the word koinonia, okay? And that word is also translated fellowship or partnership or relationship. And so it means communion. It means people coming together and sharing, being in partnership together. How do we understand what this communion with Jesus is? There's a, there's a number of ways that scripture kind of communicates what it means to commune with Jesus in his body and blood. I think about, if we think about, um, one of the ways to think about it is uh, in terms of the consequences of the covenant. Okay, we've been going through and understanding that Sunday worship is a rehearsal of a, it's a covenant renewal ceremony. 
when you come to church on Sundays, you're actually, we're, we're participating in a ceremony where we're renewing our covenant with God. We're telling God how much we love him. He's telling, him, he's telling us how much he loves us. And we've been seeing over the series how there's five stages, there's five steps in a covenant renewal ceremony. Okay, that's what God wants in terms of what we do on Sundays. Communion is the fourth step in this covenant renewal ceremony. And so in this stage, at this time, what we're seeing are the consequences. We're rehearsing the consequences of the covenant, both good and bad. Okay? So here's the idea. If you come and take communion, that means that you have the blessings that come from being in relationship with God. That's the good side, okay? If you don't, what you're saying is, if you don't come forward to take communion, then you're saying that you're in a place in your relationship with God where if things don't change, the curses of the covenant will come upon you, okay? It's, it's both the good and the bad. To come means that you have believed in Jesus, and God is saying certain things to you that you're in communion with him. You have all the blessings that go along with that. If you don't come, if you stay back because you don't believe yet, then you're saying, I, I'm not believing in Jesus yet. And the way the covenant is structured to not believe in Jesus is to reject God, and you're still under the guilt of your sins. And so this is why everyone who is trusting in Jesus should come. This is why we invite everyone who is believing and trusting in Jesus to come forward. If you're trusting in Jesus' death and resurrection for your forgiveness, then you come. You come because God has set it up so that you would experience the positive consequences of the covenant. Okay, does that make sense? To come is to receive the blessings. To not come is to say that you're standing in a place with God where you can't receive the blessings. And so one of the ways to understand communion with Jesus is to realize that God is telling us that we have the blessings of the covenant. Another way that scripture talks about the Lord's Supper to illustrate what communion with Jesus is, is it says the Lord's Supper is a lot like the Passover meal that happened during the Exodus. Okay, and back then, this was a long time ago, in the book of Exodus, God's people celebrated a meal together. They had a meal where they slayed a lamb and they ate the lamb and then its blood was painted on the doorways of where the people lived. And when God came in judgment, those families that didn't celebrate the meal were judged. But those who did, those who had the blood of the lamb painted across the top of their doors, God, it caused God to pass over them. Judgment didn't come upon their house, and they were actually set free from Egypt. They were set free. They were, from their, they were enslaved in Egypt, and they were set free. And so in communion, we celebrate a meal where Jesus' blood covers us and sets us free from slavery to sin. Jesus is called our Passover lamb. And so the lamb that was slain in the Exodus, Jesus is that Passover lamb for us. And he sets us free from slavery to sin. This is what Paul's aiming at when he begins to talk about idols and idol worship and the table, the cup of demons and the, and the cup of the Lord, the table of demons and the table of the Lord. Um, what he's saying there is that when you participate in, the, in worship at all, you become controlled by what you worship. Okay? 
whatever you worship begins to control you. And so in that passage, he's, or in this passage, he's saying, when you participate in the worship of things that aren't God, you become united to those things to the point that you're controlled by them. Okay, and so there are evil forces in this world that want to enslave us. Okay, Paul calls them demons in this passage. And if you want to see them at work today, right, if you want to see what it looks like in our day and age, all you have to do is look at what happens when people allow money, power, career, or sex to drive them in directions that they would never ordinarily dream of going. Right? I think every one of you has multiple experiences in your own life where you know you've, you've seen it in other people who are driven to the point of where you go, wow, how'd they ever get there? And I think if you're honest, also happens in us. All of us feel that draw, right? That draw from things that aren't God. And we feel enslaved sometimes, don't we? We feel controlled by things that aren't God. We feel controlled by our desires, uh, you know, our need for control, our need for pleasure, our need for power, our desire to wield power, to be selfish. These things become controlling forces. And so Paul in the passage is saying, when you participate in the, in the pagan worship, you become controlled by these idols. Paul would say today that when you give your hearts to things that aren't God, you will become controlled by them too. They will enslave you. And if you're in that place, the good news is that Jesus is our Passover lamb. His blood has been shed to set us free. We enjoy a meal at communion where Jesus is saying, I am setting you free. My blood has been shed. And so you can go. Judgment passes over you. So you can go free. There's another picture. The Lord's Supper is also like the peace offering in the Old Testament. I just want to give you some pictures so you can get a better sense of what it means to commune with Jesus and what it means for us to observe the Lord's Supper. There were lots of different sacrifices in the Old Testament. And one of the last sacrifices that was offered, there was an order to it. One of the last sacrifices was the peace offering. Okay, And in the peace offering, it was unique because the animal was killed and then some of the animal went on the altar for God. Some of the animal went back to the priest for him to eat. And then some of the animal went back to the worshiper, the person that offered it. And the image there is that God is now having a meal with his people. God is eating with his people. And in the ancient Near East, to eat with someone meant you treated them like family. And so in this, God is saying, we are at peace. We are at peace. Your sins have been forgiven. My grace is upon you. We have peace. And so in communion, we enjoy a meal with God because Jesus has offered himself for us so that God's justice is satisfied. Right? All of our sins have been paid for. And then God says, but I want you to enjoy this with me so that you would know that you are my children. And so communion is an opportunity for us to, in a sense, eat with God, to rehearse the fact that we have peace with him. Let me spend a moment just to tell you what communion is not, okay, what it's not. Um, It is not the literal body and blood of Jesus, okay? We will use language that talks about 
the, the, the bread as the body and, and the, the juice as, as, the, as the blood of Christ. But we don't believe that the bread and wine or the bread and the juice actually changes into the body and blood of Jesus. Okay? Communion really, though, it, it's a metaphor. Okay? It's a picture. And it powerfully preaches to us about the body and blood of Jesus. Okay? So it's not the body and blood, but it, it preaches to us the body and the blood. The bread and the juice, they're a metaphor for our real relationship with him. Okay, does that make sense? And so the point is that God, he wants you to understand so much what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus that he doesn't just want to tell you about it. He wants to show you. Okay, he wants to show you what it's like. Okay, and so communion, it's being washed and then filled with Jesus. Right from a few weeks ago, it's having Jesus on you, covering you with his perfection, and then having Jesus in you. You know, if you want, it's being washed by the blood of Christ and then filled with the life of Christ. Right? The washing comes over us and, and, and his body comes in us to nourish us. This becomes, if you can look at it in that way, it is a spiritual feast. It strengthens your faith. Because it's telling you every time we have it, you are in Christ and he is in you. That's what God is preaching to us. God is saying, I mean, just to bring it all the way down to the bottom. God is saying at communion, you are what you eat. That's it. If you want to explain this to your kids, what's the Lord's Supper, Daddy? What's the Lord's Supper, Mommy? You know what? That's where God tells us that you are what you eat. You know, the bread is a picture of Jesus' body. The juice, the wine is a picture of Jesus' blood. And when we eat those things and drink those things, we become like him because he fills us up. Because he is in us. He is in us. So that's what it is. It's communion with Jesus. Our second point, what does it do? What does it do? I hope this doesn't sound unnecessarily repetitive, but what it does, here are the blanks, it unites us to Jesus. Okay, it unites us to Jesus. This is really the big question. What exactly happens in the Lord's Supper? Right, what exactly does it do? Well, as Presbyterians, we believe that the Lord's Supper is a sacrament. Okay, it's a sacrament. In the Presbyterian Church, sacraments are real pictures of God's promises. Okay, that's what a sacrament is. It's a picture of God's promises. These are things that you can see, touch, and taste that guarantee that God's promises are true for you. Okay, that's what a sacrament is. A sacrament is a picture that guarantees It's a picture of God's promises that guarantee that you have the blessings that are being pictured. Let me offer you a way to understand that. If we just think about the difference between communion and constitution, okay? The third step is constitution. In the constitution step, when we read the Bible and hear it preached, what the Bible says is, if you believe, all God's promises come true, okay? In communion, it says, you do believe. And so these promises are true 
for you. Do you see the difference? Jesus says, whosoever will may come, find forgiveness, find rest. At the Lord's table, Jesus is saying, you have come. You have rest. Do you understand the difference there? That difference is the key to turning the Lord's Supper into something that will give you strength, that will nourish your soul. It makes this meal a feast for your hearts. Think about the cup. Think about the cup. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 7, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. When you come in communion, as you are drinking the juice, Jesus is saying, you believe. You believe, and so your sins are cleansed by Jesus' blood. Okay, so it's not just general for everybody, it's specific for you. That's the point. Think about the bread. We read it in John 15, 5. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it's he that bears much fruit. So, if you abide in him, you can bear much fruit. In communion, you are eating the bread. You are saying that you believe by coming forward and participating. You're saying you believe. And so Jesus is saying back to you, you are a branch in the vine. You have the nourishing, sweet sap of Jesus himself flowing into you. And so you can bear real fruit. You can grow. You can obey. And so in this way, the Lord's Supper actually promotes our faith. It grows our faith. It's trying to convince us that all the stuff that's talked about in the Bible is true for you when you come. And so I gave you a couple of examples, but I mean, here's the process. Just think of a promise in Scripture, any promise. We know the Bible says that all the promises of God are true. They come true in Jesus. And so in communion, the Lord's Supper is assuring you that all of the promises are true for you. Do you understand that? Does that make sense? I mean, that's how you do it. You think of a command in Scripture, right? Think of something that God wants you to do, wants you to be as, as one of his children. The Bible says if you believe it, you are a new creation. If you believe in him, if you're trusting in Jesus. But then in the Supper, the Supper comes and assures you that Jesus is in you. He's in you. He gives you the strength that you need to do what God wants, to be what God wants. Okay? That's how it works. And when we see that, that's where we recognize God is guaranteeing you that you have every blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Anything that you need, whatever it is, anything that you need, God is saying you have it in Jesus and you can be sure that you have it. And let me just say, it takes a little bit of time and understanding. It takes some practice in order for us to actually let that filter into our experience. So what I'm telling you now, I'm hoping, is going to renew your mind so that your experience will be different when you come. Okay, this is why when you come, we tell you the body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ is shed for you so that you can have that assurance that, you know what, this is all true for you. It's all true for you. 
So that's how it works. There are times, too, where if you're in my line, I'll try to take the promises that are talked about in the sermon, in the scriptures, and I'll say these are true for you. Because, again, it's trying, to, it's trying to go that extra step, not just in general for everybody, but true for you when you come, when you come. So that's what it does. It unites us to Jesus. Our last point, how does it help? How does it help? The blanks here are, it gives us Jesus and each other. It gives us Jesus and each other. Paul says in verse 18, Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? Again, he's saying here that when you, for even in the Old Testament, when you offered a sacrifice, you were participating in the altar. You were communing with what was being sacrificed. And in the peace offering, it was given back to you so that you receive back the benefits of that sacrifice. In communion, God is giving you Jesus. I mean, so in one sense, you can think of all the blessings. But then in the other sense, what you want to do is you want to just recite the words of the song we sang, that Jesus, you are my reward. Right? We're not in this just for the blessings. We're in this for Jesus. And so God gives us Jesus, a crucified and risen Savior, a Savior who went to the cross for our sins so that we would be forgiven. In the Lord's Supper, God gives us Jesus. But then he also gives us each other. Communion unites us together as a family. Okay, unites us together. Look at verse, um, yeah, verse 17. Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. It kind of makes sense. If you're a math person, we used to have something we called the transitive property of equality. Okay, you didn't know the name of it, but all of you understand this. Um, It goes like this. If A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C, right? So what Paul is saying here, it's, it's a bit of a variation on that. If you are communing with Jesus and you are one body with him when you commune with him, and the person sitting next to you is communing with Jesus and is one body with him, then guess what? You guys together become one body. Together we become one body. The church, this is why it says the church is the body of Christ. And so what we have are lives that converge together at the Lord's table. So two things happened to me yesterday that illustrate both what this is not and what this is. Okay, so let me tell you the, 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 the negative illustration first. I was running, okay, I was running with a friend of mine, um, someone who has been to harbor a few times, and we're running, and, and we're coming down this path, and we see somebody running this way, and I thought, oh, I know who that is, that's a person, that's person from harbor, and so, hey, I'm not going to say their name, because I don't want to embarrass them, because this, you know, is a negative illustration, <laughs> hey, kept running, hey, kept running, hey, finally pulled out, ear- oh, okay, the earphones, so didn't hear, didn't hear. Hopefully, that's really what it was. Um, 
So, hey, how you doing? How's it going? Oh, I'm doing great. See you later. Literally. And run off. Thinking, man, like that was kind of a drag, you know? Usually when you're out, anytime you see anybody, you know, you live in a big city, you feel like it's a big deal, right? To see anybody when paths cross. Didn't want to stop. Didn't want to say hello. You know, and I'm thinking, well, probably had to be someplace soon. Hopefully that's what it was. (laughs) And so then... With my friend, we spent the next five minutes with me talking about how, yeah, that's our church. <laughs> Community, woo We believe in being a family together. All right. That's what it's all about. And, uh, and then we started making jokes about that. Um, what happened there on, on my run yesterday, that was not convergence. That was two lives intersecting. Two lines that come together for just a moment, just a point in time, and then keep going on. That's not the kind of unity Paul's talking about here in this passage. And I just want to ask, how many of you feel like your church experience is a series of intersecting lines? Where you come, you show up, you intersect with other people's lives, but then you just keep moving on. And there's no real relationship. There's no real care or concern. I mean, I can't tell you how many people, well, let me tell you the positive story first. So then in the afternoon, God, you know, redeemed my, my, my vision for everything. I, I did a marriage. So I did a wedding ceremony yesterday. Weddings, like that's a picture, right? Because you have two people who come together, right? They intersect at the altar, right? The guy comes out here and then the bride comes, you know, and so, and it's a picture. It's this amazing picture of two people and yet they come together and then they leave together right? Two lines that converge, right? Going in somewhat different directions, but then they come together and they move forward in life together. And that's what marriage is. That's a picture of converging, converging lives. That's what Paul's talking about. Let me give you the illustration so that it will really help you when we observe the Lord's Supper today. When you come forward, to receive the Lord's Supper. When you come down the aisle and come to either side and receive the body and blood, you are converging with every other person who's coming. Your lives are converging. You are in line. You actually line up, right? You come down together in a glorious image of what it means to be God's family. Like that's powerful. And as you come, you need to realize that you are, the most important thing in your life is Jesus. And you have that in common with every other person who's coming forward. Your lives are converging. Do you understand? I mean, that's where, like coming is this joy. Like look around, see the other people who are coming and realize, brothers, sisters, this is family. You are one with every other person that is coming. Communion almost more than anything else, ought to unite us together as a family, right? The idea of coming forward, I mean, it should prompt you to be reconciled with every other person in this church. It should prompt you to be quick to offer forgiveness to folks, right? Like our lives are, we have to be a community. If, if that's not true of us, then we are literally just going through the motions. If we are not truly the body of Christ, 
if we are not acting this way toward each other, if our relationships don't look like a convergence of lives, it doesn't mean that it's perfect. It doesn't mean that we're all happy with each other all the time. But it means when there's conflict, that we actively seek out to be reconciled. That's why some churches would say, if you are in conflict with somebody, you should not come to the Lord's Supper until you've been reconciled. Because they're saying, if you're coming, you're a liar. If you're living out of accord with other people in the church, if you are claiming that your life is converging, if you're claiming that you are coming and taking Christ, if you are one body with Christ and you are one with every other person who's coming forward, we have to be reconciled. We've got to keep short accounts with each other. If you've got an issue with someone else, boy, make that right today. Don't leave here unreconciled. Don't leave here and make what we do at the Lord's table a lie. We commune with him. We get Jesus, but God also gives us each other. And I know that makes it hard. I know sometimes it makes it hard, but it just reminds us how much we need Jesus. Without him, we couldn't be a family. But with him, as we experience his grace, if we remember how much he loves us, it makes us think, wow, when I think about what I did to him, And how he responds to me, it's the least I can do to offer genuine, heartfelt, reconciling forgiveness to anybody else who's got, who's sinned against me. I want to highlight the fact that if we do this well, if we are living as a family together and really converging our lives together, where we are caring about each other, where we're asking each other how we're doing, when we're praying for each other, when we're in community groups with each other, I mean, talk about a perfect place where lives converge in our small groups that meet during the week. Right? I know it's hard sometimes to really get into, into the depth of, of issues out in the lobby after the service, but in our community groups, that's where the rubber can really hit the road. You know, as, if we do that, we become a community that everyone is dying for. I wish I could tell you the names of all the people that I talked to just this week who honestly want to come and, and do more with their relationship with God. They want to be in relationship with him. You know, they talk to me. I talk with them about what it's like to be in a relationship with Jesus. And they want it so badly. But they don't have a church they can go to. That they don't have, a, or they're going to a church and it doesn't feel like a community. Brothers and sisters, I mean, this is one of the things that we offer to the world. It's the sense where you can come as you are and experience grace and love and real friendship. People that care about you. I mean, we need to be doing this for each other, and it will attract other folks. They'll see it and say, I want a piece of that. And so <clears throat> there's one thing that is, that I think we're going to change a little bit about the way that we distribute the elements. And it's not really how we distribute them, but it's going to be who distributes them. We have right now a group of folks that kind of rotate through. So you know, I always distribute the elements myself, and then we have three other people that come uh, forward and, and help distribute the elements. We want, we actually like every one of you to participate in the process of distributing the elements. You know, of holding the bread and telling people the body of Christ broken for you and holding the cup and saying the blood of Jesus shed for you. We want every one of you to do that because if you're trusting in Jesus, then you have something to offer. Okay, and even if you don't know what to say, we're going to tell you what to say. But it'll be a picture of us loving each other. And so the way that we're going to do that is we're actually going to invite all the members, 
okay? We're going to invite all, if you're a member of Harbor, we're going to invite you to get in on the rotation, okay? And if you're not a member and you want to do it, then we would say, hey, just become a member. And if you don't want to become a member, then let's talk about that. I mean, there are some good reasons not to become a member, um, mostly because of past experiences and bad situations. But um, we'd really like this to be something that we all can do together because I want you all to be convinced that God has worked in your life in a way that you can actually care for others. You can bring Jesus to others. You can help other people commune with him. Okay, and so we're going to set up that rotation in the coming weeks, and we'll train you how to do that and all that stuff. Don't worry about that. So the way that I want to close this is I, I just I want to I make a connection for you and your minds. When we think about something like this, something like the Lord's Table, like communion, and, and what it's supposed to mean and do for us, one of the best ways I was thinking to try to illustrate this is, is with a song. You think about your favorite song or, or, or think about a song that when you hear it, it brings you back to that place where you first heard it or brings you back to a place where it, be, it took on a special significance for you. You know, like in dating relationships, sometimes that happens a lot where you have a song and then every time you hear that song, Heck, even if you stay together or don't stay together, right? Every time you hear that song, you feel like you're back where you were when you had that amazing experience, right? You understand what I'm saying? You know, photo albums do the same kind of thing. This is God wanting to share a song with you, okay? This is, in a sense, a photo album of God inviting you to see what Jesus has done and what his relationship with you means, And so I want you to think about what's the best experience that you've ever had with Jesus. Just think about that for a second. What's the best experience that you have ever had with Jesus? I mean, for some of you, if you're more of a knower type person, it could be when you learned a particular truth or, or certain things clicked together in your mind and you understood the gospel in an amazing way. If you're more of a beer more of a relationship kind of person than it might have been when you were experiencing something with a group of people in a small group or you know a prayer time that you've had. Um, if you're a more do-oriented person, it might have been an experience where you got to serve in a way that really meant something powerful and you felt like you were literally the hands and feet of Jesus. You know, I want you to, to, to get in your mind what that experience was. In communion, God wants you to re-experience that closeness. I mean, that's what he's aiming for. He wants you to experience a relationship with Jesus. He wants you to know for sure that Jesus is in you, that he is with you, that he covers you with himself, and then he fills you up with himself. So you become more and more and more like him. That's the benefit. That's when it becomes empowering, refreshing rest. Let's pray together. Jesus, it's so much easier, I think, for some of us to talk about this or try to think about it but not experience it. Would you please draw near to us as we come to your table, as we come to experience your body and blood, would you please confirm all of your promises? Confirm your promises to us 
And help us to believe with faith that what we're taking is not just body, not just bread and juice, but that we are experiencing your washing and your filling so that wherever we need your grace, wherever we need you to work, you promise to be at work. And Jesus, there are folks here who haven't yet committed to you, who are still outside of a relationship with you. Would you touch them and help them see just how much you love us, that you would be willing to come not just from heaven to earth, oh, not just from earth to the cross, but that you're willing to come so close to us that you would actually enter into our hearts, that you'd become one with us. And the folks that haven't committed to you, Jesus, would you help them, help them to trust you and to understand that so that they would come, they would trust in you and believe in you. We pray this in your name. Amen.